0: Amen. Good morning, friends. It's good to be able to be in the pulpit. Um, I've been anticipating this for quite a while, and uh, I'm still a little nervous. but I'm not going to cry. at least that's what I think right now. So I was thinking about it the other day. I was like, man, oftentimes when I get up here, I get emotional. and today I feel a little more passionate and emotional. and uh, praise God for that. It is good to be together. love this season. What a gift to be able to celebrate uh, not only a transition in weather, but, but our, our graduating seniors. Um, and yes, both from high school and college. Here we kind of spend a little more time in high school graduation because our college students kind of flail and go everywhere and randomly come back. But uh, that's all right. It's a good thing to accomplish or celebrate accomplishments. Um, this morning, I uh, wanted to kind of introduce where we're headed this way. Um, 12 years ago, 12 and a half years ago, I was uh, given the gift and the privilege of being able to come here to Midland Free and, and start as a high school youth pastor. And uh, one of the first trips that I did with our extremers was a trip to Lima, Peru. And uh, I'd only been here for six months, and this is a team we took. This is atop one of the little hills, hills or Plateaus in, in Lima. Um, that was quite a, quite a privilege. God did amazing things. Um, the, the reason that I kind of connected this with where we're headed is the seniors that are graduating this month were just finishing kindergarten when we were up there. And so I was like, wow, that's kind of a weird connection, but whatever. Um, and so, uh, the, the, but I had a golden youth pastor moment. In, in this, I've had, I honestly, I praise God, I've had lots of golden youth pastor moments over the course of doing youth ministry full time for a number of years. But um, this trip was one of them. And uh, th- there were four guys and four girls who were on the trip. And uh, I was just getting to know them and um, had had some, obviously, youth ministry experience previous to coming here. And so we start uh, these conversations at night. You know, one of the Jewels are one of the beautiful things about doing trips is the extended time we have with one another, and so uh, i didn 't really know these guys too well, so we 're chatting and, and talking it's you know dark, and we're all laying down in this little room, little cement room in this church building, and uh, we start just chatting about life and school and work and girls and movies and stuff and and one of the guys starts the conversation in the direction of strange and wild things in the bible and uh and that kind of struck me i thought wow i haven't really had a lot of conversations with students late at night where we talk about the unique and interesting and peculiar things of scripture and and it kind of escalated to where uh we we kind of tried to outdo one another like, yeah hey, but what about that story and what about that story and what about that story and so i vividly remember a guy named greg and uh, greg was on the on the trip and he Brought up this passage in this this story, that God put on my heart this morning, uh, for where we're headed, um, and it, it's specifically the episode of Jephthah, and it's in Judges chapter 11, and uh, this scripture has fascinated me over the years. It's actually been a little bit fascinating and perplexing, and some kind, sometimes difficult, as I've gone through it. I I I, I try to go. Uh, I I have over the last four years gone through the scriptures uh from Re- Genesis to revelation every year, and I do that through daily audio bible and it 's a podcast I listen to um, daily as i as I just go through life starting starting the day starting the morning and so um I'm, i oh what is it about I want to say two two or three months ago i 'm listening through, and this we 're in judges eleven, and uh this just hit me, God just said. This is the passage that I want you to share. And so I said, cool, let's let's go for it. And uh, I'm excited. Um, judges are, are, you know, it's a unique book. Just a quick over seventh book in the Old Testament. And uh, here's an interesting quote, I, I think, giving a description of judges, particularly as, as guys. Um, the judges were a cross mixture between a mayor, a marshal, a prophet, and a general. God endowed them with certain qualities and identified them in various ways as being those he had chosen to lead his people and so uh, we come here with uh, you know in this season of Israel's life this is pre-David pre-Kings uh, after um, some pretty popular leaders Moses and Joshua particularly but God's still forming a people for himself in this uh, part of the scriptures and so we come to Judges chapter 11 and we meet Jephthah and uh, We'll just do the first three verses, and I'll kind of unpack some things. Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also bore him sons, and when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You are not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said, because you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Taub where a gang of scoundrels gathered around him and followed him. So let's break for a minute and kind of get a context of what's going on with this guy, Jephthah. Jephthah's a pretty complex guy. As I, as I was wrestling with this and trying to understand this, I kept thinking, man, he's got some interesting dimensions about him. And a few characteristics uh, we can draw from here is uh, he's from an, uh, an immoral sexual encounter with his dad. So he kind of gets off on a, on a difficult foot. Uh, in life. Um, But he raises up as a mighty warrior. And that phrase, mighty warrior, is kind of interesting. It's the same words that are used to describe Goliath. And it literally means the strongest of the mightiest. So as I kind of thought about that, I was like, okay, this guy starts growing, he gets bigger, and his intimidated brothers (laughs) use the the birth thing and say, you're out of here. So they, they uh, you know, shun him. And he becomes the black sheep of the family. Um, he's rejected in uh, in jealousy and bitterness and unforgiveness from his family. Um, interesting, that's a little bit of a, a kind of a follow-up. Joseph uh, was the same, kind of in the same circumstance. Jephthah also seems to have some bitter or some anger issues, and we'll see that in a little bit um, He has some insecurities, uh, which is interesting because I think his insecurities are tied to his name. And uh, his name literally means he opens. And one of the things that I found out that's kind of curious is he opens means he he opens his mouth. And even though it's a few chapters or a few verses, this this is a pretty short uh, amount of space in the scriptures. Jephthah is a pretty verbal guy and uh, he uses that. Uh, in an interesting way, and we'll get to some more of that in a minute. And one other quality that that Jephthah possesses is he's a leader, and just it's in his bones. People follow him. Um, apparently, uh, scoundrels follow him as well. So, um, over the course of my study and, and doing this, I've had this like slash disappointing attitude and relationship with Jephthah. Uh, it's just spending a lot of time here and kind of like him, but I'm also really disappointed. And I'll tell you why that in a minute. So, um, we find Jephthah hanging out in Tob with a bunch of scoundrels at this point in his life. And, you know, not the, not the epitome of his career. Um, and for the next few verses, we're not going to read those, but here's the synopsis. One of Israel's enemies, the Ammonites, wanted to fight the Israelites and get back some of the land that they felt like was theirs. Interestingly, though, the land that 300 years earlier God had given the Israelites, now the Ammonites want it back. Well, the elders of Gilead, you know, are, are freaking out. They're, they're panicked, they're worried, and they remember slash know the character and the reputation of Jephthah, so they solicit him. They go to him and say, Jephthah, will you be our commander? Will you lead us against the Ammonites? And Jephthah calls them out on their hypocrisy. He's like, look. You guys hate me. You kicked me out. You did not want anything to do with me. Why do you want me now? You want to put my life in danger? And and he said, well, are these words real? Like, you're not just saying this. And he ends up using his mouth and negotiating and figuring out how to get influence and a a conviction from the leadership of Israel to, okay, if I come back and lead you guys against the Ammonites, then you really will make me your commander in chief. And they said, yes, 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 we will. So even though Jephthah is a ragamuffin and a ruffian, a uh, gatherer of scoundrels, a family reject, and a son of a prostitute, it's pretty interesting here, I think, that, that he gets a new chance, a, a new start. And I love the, the glimpse and the, kind of the, the, the grace of this, and we'll even focus on that more in a little bit, but how God gives them a chance for a new start. Even in the invitation of a, a new status, a new level of leadership, and isn't that a, a beautiful reflection, again, from the Old Testament toward the cross of how God gives us a chance for a new start in Christ? And uh, that to me is, is so fun. Uh, one of the things God's challenged me over the years is how, yes, how does the Old Testament point to Jesus? And this is a specific example that I thought of that that in Christ, no matter what our background is, no matter where we've come from, a guy, a scoundrel, a, a ruffian, a, a, a difficult uh, upbringing with a guy like Jephthah, and God's still willing to give him a new start. And so, um, you know, pay attention to that for us in in these days. Now, in this passage we're still in, Jephthah's first act as their leader was to do some negotiation with the Ammonites. So he didn't go right into war and confront them. He actually does some some interesting negotiation. And uh, not only interesting negotiation, but very thorough and what is rather compelling, I think he was actually impressed with himself. He, he put together this whole litany of reasons why they shouldn't go to war and why their ownership of the land was valid and the comparison with God and the God of the Ammonites, Chemoth, Chemoth is his name. And so he does all this back and forth, and he's really kind of, I think he's kind of thinking, you know, drop the mic. I did it. This is good. Well, there's a verse in verse 28 we'll pick up there. In verse 28 of chapter 11 of Judges, he says, But the king of the Ammonites did not listen to the words Jephthah had sent to him. And so now it's like things didn't go his way. Things did not go Jephthah's way, even though he was using his gifting, he was using his talents, and they just didn't happen like he wanted them to. So, in verse 29, um, and on the screen, uh, we'll kind of read. We're going to read through verse 29, but um, there's a map that shows. Sorry about that. There, there's a map, and ah oh, shoot, that's harder to see than I thought. But you can see on the right-hand side the word Jephthah, and those are the tribes, or excuse me, those are the judges. It's still still in the Middle East, right? That's Israel, and that's the promised land that God had given them. And and so this this portion of the scriptures is is taking place where uh, kind of the middle right-hand side is where Jephthah is. That's the land of Mizpah, the land of Gilead. Um, Actually, it's a part of the tribe of Gad, in, in case you're familiar with the 12 tribes. So just kind of a context of geographically where this is. So now in verse 29. This is an interesting verse. Then the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead he passed on to the Ammonites. So let's stop there for a minute. So Jephthah has the Spirit of God come on him, and now he's willing to go right into the enemy territory. And I think that's a powerful uh, descriptor of how God works. I mean, he gives us strength and power. Uniqueness of the Spirit of God working in Jephthah's life compared to what we have the privilege of experiencing is this was not the the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, like we get when we receive Christ as Savior. This is a special, kind of a one-time, unique power that God does Uh, In this season. And so, uh, nonetheless, he gathers troops and he goes right into enemy territory. That's pretty scary. And sometimes, you know, I don't know if you've ever experienced that where you've really felt the strength from the Lord to be able to go into a difficult situation, face the enemy, you know, whether it's spiritual warfare or a difficult circumstance, like I said, and, and do that in the power of God. Well, Jephthah has that circumstance happening in verse 29. And then, uh, I mean, I think it's also similar. One of the thoughts that I had was, it's kind of like Peter. Remember Peter? I mean, he gets out of the boat. He exercises courage and boldness and faith. And in a moment, he is on the water walking toward Jesus. I mean, this is that kind of thing for Jephthah. He's willing to do this. Um, And so, uh, you know, all of a sudden, though, from verse 29 to verse 30, something happens. It, I, it's just it's strange, but as I tried to like camp on this and just ruminate in it and marinate in it, it went from a two-dimensional uh, kind of reading to a three-dimensional reading for me. And and something happened when he was in the land of the Ammonites, and the scripture doesn't say, but I but I just can't imagine where uh, the the next part of this passage wouldn't back that up. So verse 30. Jephthah makes a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. So Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hands, and he struck them from our or to the neighborhood of Menith, twenty cities, and as far as Abel with the great blow. So the Ammonites were subdued before the people of Israel. So it's like, Yay, God! I vowed that you would have the first thing that comes out of my door, and God, seemingly at this point, if we pause, says, "Good, you got the victory. Um, it worked. Let's make vows with God. Let's kind of negotiate with God." And uh, it's interesting because sometimes I think we, we get tempted to do this. We'll talk about this in a little bit more. So let's keep going through the scriptures. Verse 34, Then Jephthah came to his home at Mizpah, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. She was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, "Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you have become the cause of great trouble to me, for I have opened my mouth to the Lord. I cannot take back. <clears throat> I cannot take back my vow." So let's break there for a minute. So Jephthah is now blaming his daughter. Just pay attention to that. This, this, is a, this is an excuse. This is like, oh, man, you've really ruined my day. You've ruined my day. His, his pointing finger is really hot, hot, hot and sharp right now. He's just blaming his daughter. And it's kind of like, wait a minute, what did she do? You're blame shifting. And uh, think about this. There's a responsibility that you have to take here, Jephthah. So look at verse 36. And it's amazing the grace she exercises. And she said to him, My father, you have opened your mouth to the Lord to do to do to me what has gone out of your mouth now that the Lord has avenged you on your enemies on the Ammonites. So she said to her father, let this thing be done to me. Leave me alone two months that I may go up and down on the mountains and weep for my virginity, I and my companions. So he said, go. Then he sent her away for two months and she departed she and her companions, and wept for her virginity on the mountains. And at the end of two months, she returned to her father, who did with her according to his vow that he had made. She had never known a man, and it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went year by year to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, four days in the year. So here are a few things that I think uh, are important for us to consider regarding who God is in this particular situation both, you know For our graduates for you guys graduating this day and for us at Midland Free in this time I wanted to kind of highlight three particular truths about God and try to apply them to us today The first one is that God raises up leaders for his work. I mean that's in Jephthah or excuse me judges eleven one. Um, during the Old Testament. It was interesting that that God was in the business of raising up a people for himself that he would provide a Messiah of the world through. And in doing so, he would raise up leaders for his people, and even people with difficult backgrounds. No matter what your background is, God can use you. This is not God's first dance with a people and even his leaders who are leading his people with impure motives. Jephthah's a classic example, right? A gritty guy, a thinker, a leader, and like many of us, familiar enough with God and his ways to not only obey, but also disobey. In Jephthah's time, God knows the heart of man, and he works to protect Israel from itself and in spite of itself. And I think that's a truth that we can even see happening nowadays, that Jesus promised, I will build my church. And so God, he does that work, With us and in spite of us, right? And uh, the powerful grace of God and the truth that God raises up leaders for his work. So, um, he raises up Jephthah to fight against the Ammonites. And uh, one of the things I thought was interesting too here is that just because uh, maybe you're a leader that God raises up doesn't mean you or I can't make dumb decisions. You know, God raises up his people for his work. And... uh, it often comes with the risk of imperfect leaders in place, right? Because imperfect leaders still have a sinful orient, sinful bent. But in His grace, God includes us in His work. And some of us students, graduates, some of you may be called for a special work in leading God's kingdom, leading God's kingdom work. And, you know, I think the main point of this episode is that when we do it and when that happens, we must do it on God's terms. We must know God on His terms and do His work on His terms. And for all of us who name Christ as Savior, He raises all of us up for His kingdom work, and He's given us His Holy Spirit and enabled us to. And so, one of the questions that I think that begs is, okay, well, if God raises us up for His work, what work is that? And and I'm just under the significant, like, passionate life, life but he committed work, that, that the work of, of God is making disciples and planning churches and making disciples. And we must do that like God tells us to. We need to do that with him. And there is a risk at getting involved with other people's lives and pouring your heart out and pouring your life out into an imperfect person, but Jesus is our model, and he did it perfectly. And so he gives us the work to make disciples. And as God raises up work, or excuse me, raises up leaders to do His work, we need to do it on His terms. That's point number two. Or things can go really bad. And it's interesting to see how this passage in verse 29. You know, again, the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah, and He passed through Gilead and Manasseh and on to Mizpah. You know, Jephthah's gathering his troops. God has given him a special strength to do this. Would have been awesome. I was thinking about this. It really would have been awesome. If Jephthah would have truly trusted God wholly, completely, and, and what, the, what the story may have been, and how much less damage there would have been in Jephthah's life and his family. And, uh, you know, when he goes and says, I make a vow to the Lord, if you will give me the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the Ammonites, shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it as a burnt offering. Here's where we've got to ask Jephthah, What were you thinking? What were you thinking? Um, It's an interesting quote I found uh, in in researching and doing this. Making a vow is an act of unfaithfulness in, in in this spirit. Jephthah desires to bind God rather than embrace the gift of the spirit. What comes to him freely, meaning the gift of the spirit, the empowerment of the spirit, what comes to Jephthah freely, he seeks to earn and manipulate. The meaning of his words is doubt, not faith. It's control, not courage. To such a vow, God makes no reply. And, uh, you know, as God's leader, Jephthah just royally screws up. And notice, you know, where it comes out. Where where it comes out is, you know, he just, he sees something again when he goes up into the Ammonite territory, and he freaks. He panics. He doubts. And now he's got to just pull this... This idea out and say, well, but Lord, I, I mean, he's, he's either really passionate about winning and so he's kind of forgetting some of the truths about the law and truths about God that he knows or has been taught and, and he steps over the line. And I kept thinking, man, don't, don't we see ourselves in this sometimes? If we hold on and wait and are patient or let the word speak, we sometimes try to convince God of things we want when we get impatient. Don't we make promises to him sometimes? I know this was part of my negotiation as a young believer. Um, there, think about this. What, what if we said, God, you know what? If you get me out of this traffic ticket, I'll go on a mission trip. God, if you cut the... Listen to this one. God, if you cut the power right now to the building, I'll stop watching porn. It's Like, what kind of... Yeah, anyway. Um, God, if you give me this job, I'll read my Bible every day for the rest of my life. Or this one, God, if you, if you keep my kids safe, I'll tithe faithfully to your work. Or, or God, if someone comes up to me and asks me about Jesus and how to get saved, then I'll tell them. We do this, right? I mean, there's a hundred other examples we could come up with as far as how we try to vow or promise to God something in order to get him to do what we think is good or what we want to accomplish, or even maybe even what he's already told us is going to happen, and and we think, well, we've got to do it in our own little way. We've got to have some insurance. we got to have some guarantees. So back to Jephthah. When we stop and think about it for a minute, one of two things could have come out of Jephthah's house when he got home, an animal or a person. Okay, For the benefit of the doubt, just maybe, maybe Jephthah was thinking very narrowly and, the last thing he saw before he you know, did his journey up to Ammon, Ammon was a goat or a bull. And uh, he's thinking maybe that could come out of his house. But I think that's a stretch. Um, you know, maybe he was desperate in his, with his vow and he was so desperate to win the battle, he didn't care what. He wasn't even thinking past that particular uh, circumstance. Just wanted to get the battle won over the Ammonites. And so this is why it's so important to know and trust God and do His work on His terms. Because, lo and behold, what comes out of his door but his daughter. And what a tragedy you know that is for how it affected other people as, as he tried to manipulate God. And so God raises up leaders and people for His work, and we need to do God's work and know God on His terms. And uh, this leads us to a third point that I wanted to emphasize and, and put forth. That God is a miraculous provider and grace giver for his people and his work. And I think that's pretty obvious and many of us have tasted that. And I think it comes right, again, very clear in this passage. And I hope it's very obvious as we've gone through Judges 11 that God, it wasn't God's idea for Jephthah to sacrifice his daughter. There was no place where God said that. Actually, it's interesting because one of the reasons that God displaced The the people in this region, 300 years earlier, as the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt and headed into the Promised Land, as you know, with Joshua, is God displaced them because of their idol worship and their child sacrifice, and you know, in, in Leviticus 18 and in Deuteronomy 12, God explicitly says, "Do not do human sacrifice." You know that is detestable to Him. And so, strangely, though, God lets Jephthah carry out his vow, which is kind of a head-scratcher. Think, wait a minute. This has been pretty perplexing as, as you kind of feel it. Um, you know, And I've asked more than once, does God not care about the daughter? Is God not strong enough to stop him? You know, I mean, God stopped Abraham from sacrificing Isaac. What's going on here, God? And uh, are you silent? And when you're silent, are you not at work? And are you not powerful enough? And, uh, you know, it kind of wrestled through that. But one of the things I think is very important for us to be aware of and remember is that God's silence does not mean God is not at work. God's silence does not mean God's not about his work. And so, um, interesting, you know, God already had provided for Jephthah, this goofy, proud, insecure, passionate guy, um, and he'd already provided to not sacrifice his daughter. And he did this, and I didn't, I didn't understand this until I was doing preparation for this message, but in Leviticus 27, um, so this is pre-judges, right, in the law, in the Old Testament Pentateuch, in the law, Leviticus 27, 2 and 3 says this, if anyone makes a special vow to the Lord involving the valuations of persons, sacrificing a person, whether for servitude or whatever, then the valuation of a male... From 20 years old to 60 years old shall be 50 shekels of silver, according to the shekels of the sanctuary. If the person is a female, the valuation shall be 30 shekels. And on and on. There's actually a bunch of other things. But, but check this out. Okay, so God is silent, and Jephthah knows God. Jephthah knows the Lord. Jephthah knows some of the, the scriptures. But again, he knows enough to obey, but he also knows enough to disobey. And so here's where it's, it's awesome. And I think our students, you know, our graduates and us, we've, we've heard a lot. We know a lot biblically. And we know a lot about God personally, many of us. And, and here's where I think this is such a powerful truth we've got to lock onto. We often want to blame God for tragedy and loss. Or we see it around us that people want to blame God for tragedy and loss. And when he's silent, we can panic. We can freak out. Uh, over in verse 12, uh, excuse me, chapter 12 of Judges, and I think it's about verse four or five, Jephthah actually admits, "When I didn't get the kind of help I expected, he took matters into his own hands." And isn't that such a common excuse and experience for us? Yet I think it's really powerful that God shows and proves that He's not silent. He is not silent, and when He's silent, He's He's given us His word. And he gave Jephthah his word and said, look, you don't have to follow through. One of the tragedies about Jephthah is that he never consulted anybody. I mean, he makes this rash vow and, and he never actually consults anybody. And again, there's a, there's a powerful thing I think we've got to keep in mind that um, seek wisdom and seek wisdom from the Lord and from godly leadership and godly people in your life, right? Right? And, and so God's provided. God's provided His Word. God's provided His truth. God's provided Jesus. God's provided wisdom. God's provided His Spirit. God's provided forgiveness in Christ. God's provided our new identity when we trust Jesus. God's provided hope. God's provided belonging and acceptance into the kingdom, into His, into His body, into His, His life, His family. And so with those things, there's where we lock on to knowing God and His truth. We don't have to be manipulative. And try to convince God of things we want. We don't have to be ignorant or prideful or stubborn and hurt people around us, which happens way too often. And we don't have to be reckless with the resources that God's given us and He wants us to use it for His glory. And I think one of the powerful things that that I see not happening in Jephthah that is applicable for us is repentance. When we're caught and we try to, you know, get out of it. The, the answer truly is just saying, God, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I Forgive me. Uh, you know, Jephthah doesn't give us that example, but we see that over and over in, uh, in the New Testament particularly and in the life of David, you know, and, and other people throughout the Scriptures that when we're caught trying to manipulate God or trying to negotiate and vow to God, and, and again, students, graduates, you know, um, as you head down the path, you know, and, and God brings you under conviction. First John 1, 9, when we confess our sin to the Lord... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin And clean us up from all unrighteousness That's knowing God on his terms And so uh, Remember Jephthah's word Jephthah's name means he opens You know he, he was a professional negotiator A professional verbal You know banterer, And uh, it, was a, it was a strength That's in a lot of circumstances A lot of situations But when it came to his uh, Obedience and submission to God It was a liability And and that can happen in all of our lives. Whatever strengths or talents you have, that can be a strength as we relate and navigate and move through life. You know, graduates, same thing. You can have academic smarts. You could have a skill, whatever. And that could be a real strength in in a horizontal position. But boy, if it doesn't come under the lordship and submission to Christ, it can become a liability. when We try to use it to manipulate God in any way or place or shape. And so, um, you know, be, be reminded God's doing His work um, and he invites you and I to join him in that work, and he gives us the opportunity to be a part of that work. And my challenge is that uh, we commit to that. We do that. Say, God, yes, I want to do work, your work on your terms, and I want to do it from this day forward. And so I, I thought this would be a good uh, opportunity to uh, listen to the words of Jesus in this particular time. Um, one of the temptations we may face as we send our students off into a world that is insane regarding politics, morally just completely dark, and spiritually bankrupt. You know, that we may, we could, we could be tempted to vow saying, God, if you'll only keep them safe or just get them through it, you know, then whatever, right? And God's saying, wait a minute, I love them more than you do. I love them more than you do, and I've got my plan for them more clearly defined in my heart and my mind than you do. And so parents, you know, us as, as leaders, those who've discipled our grads, you know, we've, we've got the opportunity to let them go before the Lord. And we're actually going to pray that in a minute as they come up here. But um, Jesus, uh, Jesus says this. It's right before the Last Supper. He's had three and a half years with his disciples, and something is looming on the on the horizon, literally hours away. His betrayal and his crucifixion. And in Luke 22, verse 35, Jesus asks them this. He said, when I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Their answer, they said, was nothing. And I love this, that Jesus wanted to remind and, and prod the disciples that Yeah, that's right. I have provided. My my father's provided. You've seen it modeled. You know how to do it. And so he wanted to remind them that he'd provided everything for them. Now he says in verse 36, he says, But now, if you have a purse, take it. Also a bag. If you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, And he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is, is reaching its fulfillment. Jesus wanted to remind the guys that He had a work for them. That He had accomplished His work and that He had a work for them. And that they needed to do it on His terms. He's kind of given them a direct coaching thing. And He's wanting them to do it on His terms. And He wanted to lead them to a deeper understanding of who He was in this circumstance. You know, that, hey, I, 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 you've seen provision. Now it's time to kind of step up. And I think this is so applicable, again, for, for our graduates, for our students, to say, hey, you've been provided for in unique ways, in a lot of great ways. Strong foundation here, growing up in this, in this circumstance, in Midland, in, in our culture, and, and at Midland Free, with good truth and good support and good love. Now, time to use it. Time to go off and experience dependence on Jesus at a new level, at a deeper level. And uh, so, be about the work of Um, carrying those things into disciple-making and into building the kingdom as God has called and led. And so, you know what's so awesome? That in His mercy, God has a plan and He's provided. And we have the privilege of knowing how to do God's work from His Word and from the power of His Spirit. And so, both the Free and our graduates... um, Lock into that. Surrender to that. Embrace that in these days, in these moments. It's a great time to be a part of the kingdom. It's a challenging time for sure because there's a lot of attack and a lot of disagreement uh, about the Word and about the person of Christ in our culture. But nonetheless, it's a great time. God has ordained these days for each of us. And for Midland Freeze, same thing. You know, we've got a great way, a great time, a great place to be salt and light and do the work of disciple-making here in Midland and in mid-Michigan for his glory. So let me pray as we finish. Father, thanks again for the glory of the living word that you've blessed us with and and allowed us to experience and know. Father, thank you too for um, showing us that you really do want us to trust you and know you and live for you and work for you on your terms. And God, please forgive us where we've been tempted and we slipped and tried to manipulate and negotiate and and vow inappropriately. And Lord, we ask that um, as you are about doing your work, that God, you would receive the glory from our lives. And so I pray, Father, that that be something that is truly marked by our graduates as they're moving on and us as a church family. Lord, in these days, may you receive the praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.